This is Parrot Talk. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. Restoringthefaith.com Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It's Monday. It is the sixth day of November. In the year of our Lord 2023, this is Mike Parrot. I am the host of Parrot Talk, carried here on the Crusade Channel. Always on air, always online. Live talk radio the way it should be. Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. You know, I say 10 a.m. Central Standard Time every day, actually twice a day. Do you know why I say that? Because I'm in the Central Time Zone. If I were Eastern, I'd be like, we're at 11 a.m. Eastern. If I were Pacific, I'd be like, this is your 8 a.m. Pacific. But we are in the Central Time Zone. Uh, you can email me at restoringthefaithmedia@gmail.com. I promise to read it. Uh, what shall we call this segment? <laughs> I was just laughing when I was preparing for it. Uh, I'm still smiling. Guys, ladies and gentlemen, we're, we're going to call this the crazy woman segment. Okay? We have a couple crazy women to play for you. And I'll leave it up to you if that is a uh, redundant name for the segment. I, I'm not making any said uh, said pronouncement, but first... You've got to hear this one. This poor lady just realized all her mistakes in life. And of course, she realized them online because that's the society in which we live in. Here we go. I just came to the realization why I'm single. Every guy that I'm like, oh, yeah, he's attractive. Okay, this is not supposed to be offensive. But I see their wives, and they just look like so, like, you know? Like, not like this. Just like, you know, like. She's covering herself modestly. I pretend my tattoos are gone. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I look crazy. Like, that's why guys don't want to wife me up. And I just come to this realization today. See? She's drinking in her car. Or maybe it's because all of them see me eat sushi after I get out of the grocery store in my car with my bare fingers and drink sweet tea. Guys, I thought these men wanted like, you know, big, strong, tough girls. I don't know. I feel like all of them are like, like super girly and all these guys are like, yeah, that's my girl. That's just like housewife stuff. And I'm over here like, I own my own business. I'm covered in tattoos. I'm a little spazzy, but that's okay. We embrace it. But yeah, I I don't think any guy's gonna wife me up because I can't take me seriously. And I just realized that. Damn. <laughs> no, no one's gonna wife you up. <laughs> 
if you had seen the video too um she she she's otherwise not a hideous uh, looking person but she did she she does have well she does have a few tattoos bedecking her body um and she has a piercing in her nose you know you know like those rings that you would put on a pig got one of those but she's spicy and we embrace that it is it is uh, a good thing it is always a good thing when people make miss when uh realize their mistakes because we all make mistakes we have all made some serious mistakes too not even like like we've all made mistakes like i i uh changed lanes without signaling the other day for example no 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 we've all made serious blunders okay all of us we have all experienced pain and shame what we are lacking in our society right now to help keep people in a relatively predictable state to help enforce some basic courtesies of society what we are lacking is shame this young lady works out stays felt stays fit uh owns her own business she's an independent woman and she can't figure why no one wants to wife her up well she does look crazy she does she's made herself look crazy and uh here's the thing she might be crazy because you do i mean you have to be insane to walk around in public with ink all over your arms and what wherever else i mean really you you that is an insane proposition for either sex really but especially for a woman especially look i said it for either sex okay i am not for tattoos tattoos are not my thing i somehow survived almost 15 years in the marine corps six of them active duty i i was never even once tempted to get a tattoo i never want oh yo what about your unit what about your fallen buddies what about your your battalion what about your your oif this or that no no because i always understood that life very likely was gonna be much grander than some trip to Baghdad, okay? Or some unit that I served with, or some uh, medal that I that I was given, or whatever. And furthermore, I don't know why i i just I just always thought it was kind of it was kind of dumb. Now I I look at it now more deeply from the from the from the perspective of tradition and i'm so glad i am so so glad that i never did i i think tattoos here's an unpopular opinion for you i think the getting a tattoo is a very fast-tracked way to um to demonic activity You've got a permanent scar on your body. Uh, oftentimes, demons are looking for a way to get you. 
oftentimes that is in the physical realm. And what do these tattoo artists do all day? What kinds of people come into those tattoo parlors all day? Uh, who else has been tattooed by that same machine? Um, anyway, I'm just thinking... Look, I, I know it sounds a little... Whatever. You know, or I, a lot of you out there are like, okay, well, you know, Mike doesn't like tattoos. Get, get over it. Well, this young lady is just now realizing that she is not wife material. She's not wife material because she's got tattoos all over her body. And again, I say to you, this is a good thing generally when people wake up. When they wake up from their slumber, when they wake up from their prior life, from their prior mistakes, and they're willing to say, hey, you know what, I messed up. Uh, final note on this lady. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> I don't generally condone or, or like the idea... I mean, look, I, obviously I use these types of videos for Paratog. So for the purposes of Paratog, I think they're hilarious. Uh, and I'm glad that they exist because they give us fodder to talk about uh, and point things out. I got another crazy woman up next that we'll, that we'll talk about. Uh, but I just don't think it's a good idea for women to go online and make videos of themselves like saying things that are absurd, uh, even if it's self-deprecating. Or in this case, it's a, it's a realization or an epiphany. I don't think she's going to want that epiphany out there. Someday someone is going to wife her up. If she wants to be, get married, I'm certain that someday she will be married. So he just needs to clean up a little bit, buy an entire set of clothing, take the nose ring out of her out of the center of her face. Maybe even consider tattoo removal, and someone's going to wife her up, okay? When that day comes, I don't think she's going to want this out there. When she has children, I don't think she's going to want this out there in the world. Notice one last thing. She's obviously from a southern state. Common sense is a lot more common in the South. The way she looks, and I know that you can't see the video. This is a this is a voice only medium. But the way she looks, she looks like your standard New York City liberal. And in that case, she would have been much, much more affected by radical 17th wave feminism. But you could hear the southern charm in her voice in this video and the dose of humility that it took for her to say, you know what? I do look insane. I just saw this nice family walk by. The woman was dressed modestly, very girly. And next to standing next to her, I look like a creep. You're not going to see any level of self-awareness coming out of a New York City liberal woman's mouth. 
This is a level of, this took some humility. Again, I don't think she should have done this. I don't think it's going to age well. I don't want her children to watch this video. I think is I think it's all it's all it's all bad, mostly bad. But it's a useful example of the gentlemanly southern culture coming out just a little bit and influencing the thinking of uh, of this young lady. And that sort of proves my point, doesn't it? That we have to have a society of some kind. We have to we have to pull ourselves together. We have to be like one. We have to hold ourselves accountable, hold each other accountable to some minimum basic standards of conduct. That is actually done. It's not really done in the South, but it is actually done a little bit better in the South than it is in the North. There is something more resembling a culture in the South than there is in the North. I am very, very fond of uh, pointing out the fact that in the USSA, we don't really have a culture. We, there's no culture. What is culture? Culture is a common language, common beliefs. Culture is food. Culture is poetry. Culture is music. Culture is architecture. Culture is religion. Culture is dress. Culture is family. Culture is custom. All of those things have been decimated to the extent they ever really existed. What is our culture? Freedom. Apple pie. Netflix. Pornography. I don't even know what the name of the website is. Pornhub? That's our culture. That's not a culture. Those are just uh, those are just things that we like to do, okay? In our in our country, not a culture. All right, so um, there we go. Let's go to crazy woman number two. <laughs> this one is funny because it's the <laughs> she's the opposite of the Southern uh, Belle who's self aware. Uh, this one has. No self-awareness whatsoever. Tell me why it just took me an entire hour for this, this single bag of items. I'll tell you why. It's because they're essential. And apparently now my Target locks away all essential items. So while you could get like $40 La Roche-Posay or makeup that was sitting out, my $8 body wash was locked away as was my deodorant and my husband's body wash and his razors and like the basic things that I went to Target to get. Behold, the dystopian nightmare that is my Target now. Look at it. And I, like many other former Target lovers, was planning on perusing the fall items, maybe sniffing a candle or two, maybe buying one I didn't need, but I was literally fighting for my life in that store. I was so desperate to get out of there. And then when I finally get to the end, there's a giant line because about one employee left. One lone employee was not opening cabinets and was manning the checkout register. So the self-checkout line is all the way to the back of the store. Tell me. 
<laughs> she was fighting for her life. Very dramatic drama queen. Um, Try to get out of the target. Why do they have everything locked up in the target? It's so mean. Um, Do you want me to tell you why? This is a white liberal, by the way. Uh, white liberal mad at Target for locking up essential items. It took her an hour to get a bag of stuff, and she was fighting for her life, and she wanted to get out. I I don't want to have to be the one to tell her why it took her an hour to check out at Target. I just don't. First of all, you and I know, here on the Crusade Channel, we're not going to Target. We just don't go to Target, Crusaders. Why? Well, because they were the first early on to try to do this trans bathroom crap. I mean, they were way, way ahead of the power curve on on pushing the trans agenda. I mean, no, seriously, they were way out in front, years ahead of most people. Now, um... Besides all that, besides the fact that we crusaders are not going to go to Target, um, the fact that she doesn't understand basic economics, she doesn't understand why all of her stuff is locked up. Hmm. Why would Target lock up the stuff? Why would they make it harder for you to get essential items? Essential items. Maybe she needs to subscribe to the Epoch Times, which is the sponsor of this portion of the show. You can subscribe today. You can watch their new docu-film, No Farmers, No Food, Will You Eat the Bugs? Subscribe today through the Crusade Channel for $1 for your first month by going to crusadechannel.com forward slash epoch. If she were to peruse... This illustrious channel for even five minutes, or if she were to take her one dollar that she would have spent on a useless item at Target and read the Epoch Times for a month, she would probably start to understand why it took her an hour to buy deodorant at Target. I don't want to have to be the one to tell her that it is her fellow scholars. These scholars, they're everywhere. They just, you know, they're 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 roaming the streets right now like uh like bandits, these scholars are. And you you have to be careful because um they may they may try to give you a scholarship if you look like a soft target, these scholars. Uh and and or they may have to they might try to share some of their philosophy with you. They have been developing a very uh, profound and deep uh, uh, set of philosophical principles um, for a while, and they are very keen on sharing those with you. And um, while they they want to share their philosophy with you, these scholars do by osmosis. One part of their philosophy is they don't pay for things anymore. Um, that's part of, um, that's part of, I don't know, fairness, justice in their minds. And so they will just walk into a target, these scholars, uh, with trash bags or backpacks or whatever, and they'll just start emptying the shelves 
of all these essential items. Well, Target is, uh, in the end, uh, despite all their wokeness, um, despite all their liberal tendencies, despite their board of directors and their ESG and, and all of that garbage, they are nevertheless accountable to the shareholders to at least try to make some money or break even, you know, turn a profit, turn a small profit, right? It's hard to turn a profit when you, as a business, go to the trouble of locating inventory around the planet, searching high and low for the lowest possible bidder. Oh, good. Uh, you make the, uh, you make the, deodorant in malaysia with aluminum that's the one we want please bring that over by the by the uh pallet load okay so you get pallets and pallets shipping containers full of aluminum laden poisoned deodorant made in malaysia uh you you wait for it you purchase it you wait for it to arrive on the dock in long beach california you unload the shipping container into semi-trucks. You drive the semi-trucks to distribution centers around the country. From the distribution centers, you then uh, drive new trucks out to the Target stores. Uh, you, you load all of these deodorants onto the shelves, and you pay somebody to load them on the shelves dress them up, put a new sign, hey, new product here, um, keep them all in alignment, uh, covered and aligned in neat little rows so that everybody sees that, oh, okay, you got the new, you got the new aluminum-laden, heavy metal-derived uh, Asian-manufactured deodorant. Cool. Oh, awesome. $2.99. That sounds like a good price in, uh, in this economy. Well, it's hard to make money when you go through all that effort to get that on the shelves, and then the scholars come in, and they just take the deodorant with them. They're just like, oh, that's mine. <laughs> well, that's, that's a recipe for a disaster, really, a financial disaster, because you have your cash tied up in this inventory, and unless you sell the inventory, you're not releasing that cash to the bottom line. You're not actually making any money. So when someone just steals your inventory, that hurts doubly. That hurts. You're like, why didn't you just... Why didn't you... We went through all this effort, paid all these people, these distribution fees, waited all these months, did all this... Why wouldn't you just, like, rob us in the front of the store? Just, just hold us up and take our cash. That way, we wouldn't have been tempted to take that cash and go to Long Beach and get our shipping container and, and 17, you know, 18-wheeler trucks and, dis and distribution centers and all that stuff. Why would you do that, scholars? Well, <laughs> because it's a lot easier to just walk into a Target. Or at least it used to be. It used to be easier to just walk into a Target and just take, take what you need. Just take what you need. This white liberal doesn't understand why now her cheap made in Malaysia heavy metals deodorant is locked in a case. It's locked in a case. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a society now where they have to keep the poison locked in a case. Otherwise, the scholar, the scholarship class, the scholars, will be too tempted to just um, demonstrate their scholarly philosophy on those items. I don't want to live in a country where the deodorant is under lock and key. I really don't. I want to live in a country where your grocer knows who you are. They know your name. They know your face. Where you come in and you say, hey, Ted. Hey, Mike. You here for the usual? I sure am, Ted. How's your mom? She's great. How's your wife? Oh, wonderful. Hey, you know, Ted, I forgot my wallet today. Would you believe that? That's all right, Mike. I know you're good for it. Take what you need, and uh, we'll true up next time. You sure about that, Ted? Yeah, of course. I know. I know you're coming back. Thanks, man. That means the world. I'll see you soon. Yep, all right. I'll see you later today or tomorrow. Be well. Bye now. That's small-town America. That still exists. That's a real thing. It happens. That's the kind of country I want to live in. But what is required for that interaction? What is required for an interaction like that to happen? First of all, you have to have some level of trust. You have developed trust between two humans. How do you develop trust between two humans? It takes time. It takes uh, interaction. Takes exposure, takes good associations. Maybe y'all grew up together. Maybe your parents knew each other. Maybe your grandparents knew each other. I was in a furniture store with one of my customers last week. And this guy named Aaron was telling me how he uses a certain sign company for all of his signs. Uh, you know, signs on his on his uh, wrapped trucks that deliver furniture as well as the whatever signage or lighting that they have out in front of the store, what have you. Said, yep, I've been using them. My dad, when he owned the store, he used them and, and worked with their dad. And my dad's dad, my grandfather, worked with their grandfather. So we've been using that sign company for three generations. I don't have any reason to go anywhere else. Imagine a world where your business is transferred from generation to generation, from father to son. Your trade, your skill, your knowledge. Imagine a world where families become known for the things that they do. Oh, the carpenters. Hmm, I wonder what the carpenters do. Let me guess, they're lawyers. No, they're carpenters. That's why that became a surname. The marshals. Hmm, I wonder if the marshals were ever in law enforcement. The blacksmiths. We used to have... 
The reason surnames came about was to describe the type of work that the family would do. The family. If you were a lawyer, more than likely your son would be a lawyer. Your son would join your firm. He would take your practice. He would uh, he would uh, become the continuity between yourself and your and your, and your customers, your clients. Here's one. Everybody needs to have a living will and testament because in the United States of America, if you die, your stuff goes to this thing called probate. And probate is to be avoided at all costs. Probate is where a judge holds up all your stuff and even your wife can't get to it in some cases. How's she going to pay bills if your bank account is in probate? So everybody needs an estate attorney. Well, if the estate, if the trust attorney, the, the estate attorney is old and there's no heir designated, he hasn't trained his son in his practice. I, I, I know one. I know one that's that's getting up there. And I and I want him to update my trust, but I don't. But I know that he's gonna die soon. And then what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna have to go find a new one because there's no continuity in the practice because his son wanted to go. I don't know. Be be a be a tech startup guy or whatever. I have no idea. How do we get to the point where we have these interactions in small town America based on trust, where we know each other, we trust each other. Hey, Mike, I know you're good for it. Oh, you forgot your wallet? That's all right. Take what you need. I'll put it on your tab. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, Ted. How do we get there? Number one, I told you, it's based on interaction. How do we have prolonged interactions with people? Well, we stop moving around every five minutes. We establish roots. We become invested in communities. You know, we traditionalists are very guilty of doing this. We move all the time. We're on the move. One day we're in Atlanta. The next day we're in Texas. The next day we're in Oklahoma. The next day we're in Coeur d'Alene. Maybe we'll move to St. Mary's. Oh, I heard there's a lot of Latin masses in Detroit. How about Kansas City? Oh, Louisiana's great. The King Dude's there. Stop it. We need to put down roots somewhere. We need a sense of permanence. Our children need a sense of permanence. How are we supposed to uh, build wealth and assets when we're constantly losing wealth and assets through sale of wealth and assets? I say bloom where you're planted. Wherever you are, if, you, if you're reasonably close to the sacraments, stay there. That's what I say. Stay there, convert people, make it a multi-generation thing. If you're in one of the big cities, get the hell out. <laughs> Go away, run. <laughs> if you don't have any sacraments, that may be a different story. But if you don't, but if you, if, here's the thing. When the, when the West was settled, people didn't have sacraments. The Japanese for 275 years didn't have sacraments. Sacramental grace is important. It's the most important thing. It's the only way to clean our souls. It's the only way to be pleasing to God. We've got to do it. But there are some occasions like war, exploration, 
there are some occasions where you won't have sacramental grace and God will provide. So even then, I would, I would argue that we should be very mindful of our identity, our cultural identity. And like I told you earlier in the segment, I believe that in the American South, there is something of a cultural identity, something approximating it. Much more so than the absolute dearth of one in the North. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit about Prima Genitur and Napoleon and uh, the French Revolution because, ladies and gentlemen, that ties directly into what we're talking about here on the show today. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Hey, I just met you, heard you're a groomer, so here's your millstone, good luck loser, it's hard to look right when you're a pervert, so take your millstone, no kids will get hurt, gotta get these fools into the bottom of the ocean, down in the ocean, alongside that titan sub, gotta get these guys down to the bottom of the ocean, throw them in the ocean. With that Titanic sub. Welcome back to the show. It is Monday morning, the sixth day of the 11th month of the year of our Lord 2023. Paratalk here on the Crusade channel. Always on air, always online. This is Live Talk Radio the way it should be. I want you to know that uh, we, are, we broadcast from the heart of America. And we are here every day at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. <laughs> uh, and I will take your emails at restoringfaithmedia.com at gmail.com. All right, in the last segment, we were talking about some of the crazy women out there. Redundant title. And one of the white liberals who made a video questioning why the heck we can't have stuff on the shelves in Target, not behind lock and key. Why do we have to lock things up? This is so lame. I was fighting for my life at Target. I was trying to give her an, exa- uh, a, an explanation for that, and we ran out of time in this segment. I have to give the full answer now. I started talking about how important it is to develop a local economy, a local community, an identity, a connection with your neighbors, a connection. Everything about our country is designed to sever the connection between our neighbors. We don't have wraparound porches anymore because we don't spend any time outside with our neighbors. We drive the car into the garage, we shut the garage door behind us, and we hope nobody saw us. Hope nobody comes over. No one's gonna, no one's gonna mess with us. We, we hardly even have front porches anymore in most of our houses. In many parts of Europe, the houses are connected to each other in long lines of connected houses. And those people know each other. They've been there for generations. Their parents knew each other. Their grandparents knew each other. Can you imagine the stability 
that that would give you if you if your name if your name was Gillespie and your name if the Gillespie name was known for something in a community and you had to uphold the family name and you had a sense of I don't want to dishonor the Gillespie name our name means something now there in the aristocracy in the American aristocracy there still is something akin to this you know it's a big scandal when a bush screws up it's a big deal when any of the any of the tech billionaires offspring does something silly or dumb so there is still recourse to the family name uh, in certain quarters of our society but by and large by and large your name is not something to which you aspire to which you are accountable. And that needs to change. The, the, the way that that can change is when there are many bearing your name living in the same place for a long time. When there are many that are like you, multiple generations, and when they have built something, when they have established a reputation, and when you start to understand as a young person, as a young man, let's say, that you have a name to live up to. You have a duty to maintain the integrity of that name. That becomes something aspirational. And that starts to hold our society together. Is that going to... Is that going to get the deodorant back on the shelves outside of lock and key? I don't know. I don't know, but it, it can't hurt. The idea that uh, that we would be extremely concerned about our local community, and if the scholars come into our local community and start and start uh, messing with it. Don't you think that a community that uh, of like-minded people that all know each other that have been together for four generations, they're not going to stand for that. You can take your scholarly activity elsewhere. Goodbye. One final thing. I told you, I, I, I used a fancy word in the last segment. I'm not sure if you've heard it before. Probably you have. I know the King Dude talks about this. And he's, he's absolutely up to date on it. Primogenitor is the privilege of the firstborn son. It's both the privilege and the burden. The firstborn son of a family has the absolute solemn duty of carrying on the business of the family. Not just the, not just the family business, but the business of the family. What does that mean? There must be a head of family. At all times. Someone who is accountable for the rearing, the raising, the education, the stability, the identity of the family. And when the head of family dies, in many places in Europe, the head of family was the firstborn son, the heir. The firstborn son took the assets over from the family. All of them. All the holdings, all the lands, all the businesses, all the hard currency, all of it. 
he also took on the responsibility of governing the family. He took on the responsibility of taking care of his widowed mother. He would take on the family estate. He would move into the master suite. He would, uh, he would take on the affairs of the family. This is a system which makes sense for wealth preservation. And how is it possible that the same family could own the same plot of land for 19 generations in Europe? Well, it's primogenitor. It goes from father to son, from father to son, from father to son, over and over and over again in an orderly fashion. Does that mean that your second-born son is less important? No, absolutely not. He's essential to this thing. First of all, you need priests. And second of all, you need backups in case the heir dies. Third of all, you may have issues with your firstborn son. You may have to disinherit him for some reason. Maybe he becomes a Protestant. Well, he's out. But the idea that when you die, your stuff is divided equally amongst all your, all your children, that's a French revolutionary principle. That's something designed to destroy the family. People fight over their inheritances all the time. People steal inheritances all the time. I've seen it up close and personal. When someone approaches death, the demons are there, ladies and gentlemen. Ooh, the demons are there, waiting, waiting for to snatch that soul. And the demonic activity goes to level 10 as somebody approaches death. And one of the things that happens is all the heirs start to bicker over the stuff. It's evil. It's wicked. Here you are trying to prepare your soul for death. And your heirs are standing at your at your bedside, trying to get you to agree to uh, uh, to give this this thing to them, and I want this house, and I want this thing, and you know how could you do this to me? And where's the will? Stop, stop. Get your father to heaven. Pray the rosary for him. My goodness, bickering over the the shekels. But that's what happens because that's a French revolutionary idea to divide everything equally. And as a result, nobody owns anything. Nobody owns anything because how do you divide an acre of land amongst 10 heirs? You can't just chop it into 10 quadrants and say, okay, you each get one-tenth of an acre. No, you have to sell it. You have to liquidate the asset. You have to convert it into currency, something that is fungible, divisible, so then you can divide the currency ten ways. So you sell it for gold, or you sell it for silver, or you sell it for fiat currency, whatever, whatever the currency of the day is, something that is divisible by ten, and then here's your one-tenth. Have a nice day. Try to start a life on one-tenth of that. Good luck. That's how you destroy the wealth of a nation. That's how you destroy the, the, the security, the permanence of a family. That's how you uproot people from where they live, which is which goes back to the whole small town and target thing. 
When you are uprooted from where you live, when you're not connected to the land, when you don't have a permanent investment, long-term investment in a place, you'll just wander to a new place. Don't have to know anybody, and everybody's wandering, and therefore we live in a society of strangers. Everybody is just a stranger. And when you're a stranger, there's no trust. And when there's no trust, there's no credit. There's no Ted and Mike at the grocery store. Oh, I forgot my wallet. That's all right. Take your stuff. That can't happen because there's no trust because we're strangers. And we're strangers because we have been made homeless wanderers. And we've been made homeless by the French revolutionary principle of automatically dividing everything equally amongst your heirs. Something for you to consider. As you raise your children, maybe maybe it's worth it to raise your oldest son just in a certain way. Maybe this changes how you rear him. I don't know. It's just something to think about. Family stability, taking over the family business, learning the family trade, carrying on the family responsibilities. Seems like a good idea to me. I think we're going to try to do it. Thank you for listening. This is Parrot Talk. Always on air, always online. We'll see you tomorrow, Tuesday. God bless you. Thanks for listening. This is Parrot Talk. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. Restoringthefaith.com.